We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to be pitch-hitting for Don. This is kind of on a last second notice. Uh, he's having some equilibrium issues that he's had in the past, so... Uh, I don't know why we use this as an excuse. A wise man bringeth out of his treasure things old and new. It's always kind of been difficult for me to preach or teach something that I've taught before. We can sing the same songs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Second Timothy chapter three, verses ten through thirteen. I want to talk to you about a godly life. And if there ever was a period of time in our life that the world needed to see godly living, it's now. Verse ten, but thou hast fully known my doctrine manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and at Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all. The last time I looked, all still meant all. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It is without question, if you want to change somebody's mind, it takes the mind to change the mind. You cannot change a mind unless you can think and embrace areas that can assault, I guess, or and somehow uh, bring a higher truth or a more positive truth to a life. If you want to change somebody's heart, you'll never do it with your mind. You'll never do it with your head. You have to change it with your heart. But if you want to change a life, you can only change them with your life. Your life must be something that speaks to people and that engages them on a, on a life level. Paul unfolds his life to his young son in the faith, Timothy. In chapter 3, in the earlier verses, he talks about evil teachers. 
people who have a form of godliness but no power thereof. In verse 10, he said, but thou, and then he says that again in verse 14, but thou. What Paul is saying in contrast to declining morals, in contrast to the declining standard of Christianity, he said, but, that, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. One of the things about the fellowship that some of us used to be a part of was that there was this mantra that the pastor or preacher needed to have this buffer between him and those that he shepherded and led. Uh, that it was never a good thing to allow those that you're ministering to to become too familiar with who you are. And I guess it's because there probably was a good deal of hypocrisy in that ministry. But Paul's call to Timothy was a call to be different. It was a call from empty show and false teaching. Paul is calling Timothy to be different from the religious world around him. You understand that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. To stand apart from what they had come to understand and know through Judaism as religion, to stand up for truth. If a tree is judged by its fruit, the faults are comprehended and understood by the kind of life they live. Uh, we have our doctrine, and our doctrine is to be translated into everyday living. Paul addresses nine qualities of life that he had sought to transmit to Timothy by his lifestyle, by the way Paul lived. And these are qualities that he asked Timothy to follow. Then he asked Timothy and us to follow. The introduction of this passage is a classic level or understanding of discipleship. It underscores and underlies the entire discipleship process of how you discipleship someone. You don't discipleship them or disciple them by simply teaching them the Word of God. I have found that my best preaching has always come out of things that God has taken me through and had me live through and overcome and out of the wealth of what I learned by going through those things to first demonstrate it by my life before I demonstrate it through the power of his word. Paul said in verse 10, you have fully known. That means to fully follow something. It means to walk alongside of. 
In a mental sense, it means to follow men, mentally or to understand. Paul is telling Timothy, listen, you've looked over my shoulder. You have seen me in every sphere of my life. Nothing is hidden from you, fully known. Most of us hide from that kind of disclosure. Uh, there are things about our private life that, that we just don't share with others or with most other people in our life. Paul said, I have told you how the fake life lives, but I have shown you how the genuine life lives. Paul is presenting a lifestyle that we are to emulate. Here's your choices. You'll be one or the other. To copy, to write is a pattern. If you remember back in kindergarten days, you'd give it, given these sheets of paper and they had the letters already written out in capital letters and in lowercase letters. And you were to copy them. And in copying them, you would learn how to correctly frame or write letters. When we, Paul was telling Timothy, when you sin, you don't only sin against the Word of God, you sin against the example that I have given you. Hebrews tells us, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, we are to be the modern pillar of fire and the modern cloud by night that people can follow by our living. Paul said, you've heard my doctrine. You've heard me preach. It was in Acts 14 that Timothy first encountered Paul because Paul came to the city where Timothy lived and he heard him for the first time. Paul preached with such power in that setting that people wanted to worship him as God. It must have been some kind of dynamic preaching, some kind of charisma to sway people so powerfully that they actually thought Paul was God. They could only equate him with what they conceived as God as being. And Timothy saw this. He said, you've seen my manner of life. You see how I practice life. Timothy, you heard what I said, but you also saw how I lived. Paul was not afraid to point that out. What I preached, I practiced. You know, I don't know how many of us could actually say that because in our humanity we have our moments where we act less than Christian. And when we think about it later, we're embarrassed by it. But we don't often enough apologize by it. Paul was telling Timothy, don't pull down by your living. 
what you've built up by your preaching. It's one of the things that is so key in a Christian home is that Christian parents don't tear down by their living what they profess to live in church. Matthew, Jesus said, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It's, it is enough for the disciple that, be, that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. The startling truth is that we often reproduce ourselves we see things come out of our children. We wonder, where did that come from? It probably came out of our lives. As in creation, everything produces after its kind. The Scripture says wisdom is justified of her children. And this is both exciting and frightening because if we do it with integrity... We can communicate the truth of God's Word, literally communicate it by our life into the life of another. The New Testament and the epistles underscore this principle. Our lives must be an example. We must be the kind of people that others will follow. One of the things that I have found in Christianity is that sometimes we behave in our home different than we behave outside of our home, and that sometimes the best witness that we give to our Christianity or the least clear picture we give is in our home. We live a better life outside of the home than we live in the home because we tend to let down our our barriers and our mask, and uh, sometimes we behave in ways that is not godly. Have you ever heard, well, I don't go to church because there's too many hypocrites. I see too much failure. It's so discouraging. And we often reply, well, you're not supposed to look at others. You're supposed to look at Jesus. That sounds right, but it's not right. We're not allowed by Scripture to excuse ourselves from the responsibility of being a godly example to those around us. How many of you have ever seen Jesus personally? The only way you can see Jesus is see Him in the Word and see Him reflected in the lives of of those who claim to know him. To Thessalonica, Philippi, and Corinth, Paul said, Be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. He also said, also said Be imitators of me. Follow not only what I say, but what I live. There's a poem that says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. The eyes of better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but 
example is always clear. The preachers are the ones who live their creeds, for to see good put into action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do if you let me see it done. I can catch your, I can catch your hand in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the sermon you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I might not understand, or I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding in how you act and how you lived. This is really the challenge of every child of God that Jesus needs to be seen in our lives and with a clearer message than is ever heard from our lips. I've had a few incidences in my life where I've encountered people out in society and never talked to them, never said a word to them. But in Tennessee, I had a a man followed me in an amusement park, stopped me and expressed what he was going through in his life and asked me to pray for him in the middle of that. How he knew to search me out or to find me, I don't know. Another case, I was with a group of ministers in a city and we were coming out of a restaurant walking down the street this young man was standing on a street corner, and he stopped me. And, uh, I mean, there were several of us, but he focused on me, told me that he was out witnessing, and would I pray for him that God would give the people that he's talking to a listening ear. Paul to Thessalonica said, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for you, your sake. Paul said, my aim in life is not to reflect who I am, but to reflect who he is. Paul came to Lystra. He stirred up the council. They threw him out of the city and stoned him and left him for dead. But he came back to the same city and to the same people with the same message that got him thrown out of the city. And Timothy saw that. Because Paul was committed to something besides his own life. He saw something as more vital and more important than his own well-being. He wasn't afraid to stand up for what he was believed in. He wasn't afraid to give his life for what he believed in. He was willing to walk into known danger to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things that I have been praying fervently about in my own life as we see the turmoil that's coming in America, and if there was ever a time for authentic Christianity to be lived out in our society and culture, it's now. But the thing that I am, I am certainly 
focusing on in my prayer life is that God, I don't know what I may face in my life, but when my trial comes, I pray that I can demonstrate you and be faithful to you in that moment and in that time. You've got to know Paul's purpose in life was communicated more than by anything he said. He said, my purpose is to communicate, is expressed in what I'm committed to more than my own life. And that's one of the things that I think that expresses Christianity more than anything else is the commitment that we make to it, even in our failure, the ability to commit to the truth. You've heard me tell the story. You know, we sit at the breakfast table, and there's one animal involved, and there's another animal that's committed. The chicken's involved because they give the egg, but the hog is committed because he has to give his life for the bacon or the ham that we eat. And there's sometimes that in Christianity, you have people that are involved, but they're not committed. And then you have people who are committed. Their life is all about God and all about the church. They're committed to it through the highs and through the lows. One of the things that I value and appreciate so much about the people that are here is that through up times and down times, through thick, through thin, you've stuck with us. You're not just involved in this church. You're committed to a church, to this church. And the church can only be built on those who are committed because in the life cycle of a church, there's always some people coming. There seems to always be some people are going. But you have to build the church on those who are staying. Is there anything in life for which you would die for? Is there any people that you would die for? What is there that's a part of your life that will survive you. There's a helicopter pilot from the Vietnam War that was killed in combat. His parents received his body and he was buried in his hometown in New Hampshire. And on, on his tombstone, they had engraved the words of John Stuart Mill, who is a philosopher. And the word said this, war is an ugly thing, but it's not the ugliest of things. That the greatest state of moral and patriotic feeling, which thinks nothing is worth a war, is worse by far than war itself. I want you to hear this in the climate we're living in today. A man who has nothing which he cares about more than his own personal safety is a miserable creature and has no chance of being free 
unless he is made free and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself. A man who has nothing for which he would die is a miserable creature. A country that cares for nothing more than its safety is a miserable country. Timothy, you've seen my life. You've witnessed me that I hold a gospel more dear than my life itself. It affected Timothy with the same moral and spiritual fiber that Paul demonstrated in his life. Faith and perseverance. To be faithful is to, to have faith under pressure. To have faith when life is disadvantaged. Fidelity is the exact correspondence of truth. I remember when, yeah, I'm up that old. I remember when RCA began to put out records of high fidelity. And they were recordings that placed on records that were almost like sitting in the con concert hall, almost hearing it lie, live, so clear and so exact and so uh, true was the sound that was played from that record. Fidelity is to stand when the pressure is on. I think it's incumbent on parents today that stand true to what you believe. Whether your children waver in it or not, you stand true to what, what, what the Scripture teaches, that you communicate that. And when they go through trials and struggles, and when you understand and know that it's because of their not placing truth and the, the Word of God in a proper place in their life, that, that you, you tell them about that. You, you're honest with them about that. To be faithful in, what you, in that which you believe. Pressure affected Paul. It affected, it affects me. But there's times that Paul wavered. There's times that Peter wavered. We, we see it in Scripture. They're not perfect people. They had their faults and failures. There's times that they did not live up to their best. I mean, even Moses, who the Bible said, that born among women, there was none greater than he. Uh, you know, Moses failed to sanctify himself before the people. What that means was that he come to a time in his life when he smote the rock instead of speaking to the rock. He acted out of character of how God would act in that place. And it cost him entry into the promised land. Pressure affects all of us. And we're living in a time when we need to stay by the truth and doctrine when we're tested in those times in our lives.
when stoned, Paul wouldn't change his message. When beaten, he wouldn't change his message. When shipwrecked, he wouldn't change his message. If there was ever a man who could feel like that God had abandoned him outside of Jesus Christ, it was the Apostle Paul. Because you understand that what he suffered in ministry was simply because of the revelation that he received from God. That thorn in the flesh, that wasn't blindness. The Bible said it was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. There was a devil that had Paul's number that hammered on him and hammered on him and hammered on him and hammered on him all the time. You know that you're really living for God when there is this thing in your life that nags at you and nags at you and nags at you and resurfaces and resurfaces. And when it comes, you have to rebuke it. You have to take dominion over it. You have to take the authority of the Spirit of God over it. But Paul preserved it through every circumstance of his life. We are, li- we are entering a time in, in our nation, in our country, where it is going to cost you to be a Christian. It's going to cost you. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul describes a host of circumstances that he went through. Things that he suffered. He suffered for the gospel's sake. There's a lot of turmoil in our culture in our world right now. People are living under immense pressure. And there are people who are giving up truth as we're attacked. There's a tendency to water down when the pressure is on. Paul did not do that. And his perseverance came through to Timothy. This is the best opportunity for us to express our Christianity and our fidelity in serving God is right now, is by how we live and respond in a world in turmoil and in a world that is in chaos. Patience is long-suffering. This relates to having patience with people. And if there is an Achilles tendency that I have, that's it. It's just hard for me to tolerate stupidity. Paul rose above jealousy and envy. He writes in, to Timothy in his second letter, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. This is my struggle. I'm admitting this is my struggle. You can't teach one 
you demonstrate impatience toward. When you think about Jesus, his brilliant mind, yet he could sit with ignorant and unlearned fishermen and communicate on their level and never become impatient with them. Uh, I think that probably God calls to the ministry the most impatient people he can find. I really do. Because over the process of decades, you have to learn patience. He says those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Is there people in your life you find it difficult to gently instruct? In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. It is so easy in this world to become very judgmental. I mean, this deal in California has really got my motor going. Where they have voted into law that if you're within 10 years of being older than your victim, that you cannot be charged with a sex crime or listed as a sexual offender. So a 13-year-old guy can abuse a four-year-old girl and not go to jail. Now, how do you sit down with that bald-faced idiot and communicate to him in a gentle, kind manner? I can tell you that that'd be a real test of my Holy Ghost. Ah. Uh. You know, you have feelings sometimes about your your kids and grandkids that you don't have about other others. You know, if somebody abused my kids or my grandkids, man, I could kill them. And tell God they died a natural death. I could do it. I'm just being honest. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Let us understand something our battle in America is not political, it's spiritual. Is spiritual. Uh, and there are people that are so spiritually twisted 
that the thing about a reprobate, he doesn't see because he thinks his evil is good. These kids that are rioting and plundering and burning, they have no clue. They have no understanding of the devastation that they're creating. They have no, they have no capacity to understand that. And a part of me understands that meeting violence with violence is not an answer. Martin Luther King Jr. understood that. You can't fight violence with violence. In times like this, it's difficult to turn the other cheek. But Paul goes right from this, and the next thing he mentions is charity, which is unselfish love. It's not losing the person in their iniquity and their sin. He contrasts those in verse 4 when he talks about traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. They didn't love God and they didn't love good. All they cared about was themselves. And Paul said, you have to be patient with them in their circumstances. And I'm telling you, that's difficult. That's difficult. It, it's, 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 it's impossible without God. Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he said, not that I speak in respect of want, but I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Every and in all things, I'm instructed. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to both abound and to suffer need. Now, we like to quote verse 13 all the time, forgetting about verse 11 and 12 that precede it. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul had the ability to wait for God to finish the chapter. Somehow he saw God in the chaos. And since in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, he took chaos and brought order to it. You can always tell what is a work of the devil is it brings chaos and confusion. That's what tells you what's going on in our world. It's the devil. He foments chaos and confusion. God always brings about order. Paul writes about his persecutions. Acts 13 in Antioch. Acts 14 in Iconium. Acts 14 in Lystra. Adversity should demonstrate an increase of Christ, not of us. 
And that's the thing I struggle with. My humanity wants to override my spirituality in times like that. But it's an adversity. Paul said it's through my weakness that God's strength is perfected in my life. And maybe all of this is a platform being set for the church to be the church and to operate like the church and to respond like the church. I see things on Facebook posted by Christians that I just can't believe. I just can't believe. We're to express God. You know, how would a young person know how to respond in God if God didn't put some of his people through affliction and let them demonstrate godly living through their affliction? We just buried one of this week, this week, one of the greatest Christians I've ever known. Uh, For the last eight or nine months of his life, he suffered immensely. But the thing that came out of him was always kindness, always a smile, always I love you. He always asked about the church. He always asked about how you were doing. He never focused on himself. Paul said we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Moffat translates that as knocked down, but not knocked out. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Christianity resides in frail bodies, in bodies with a lot of heartache and a lot of problems, distress and despair. Why would God invest the destiny of eternity in us such frail creatures? Because any of him that shines out of us has to come from a different source than us, that it might be of him and not of us. There was something more about Paul than his humanity. There was the spiritual side of him. And we're at our best when we manifest the spirit and not ourselves. And I know that that is so difficult in some places of life. Crisis never builds character. 
it only reveals it. It is in the difficult moments that we demonstrate and communicate what we really believe. It comes through clearer than anything we ever say. How we respond when we are in our weakness, when we are suffering, when we are trying to recover. How we react then tells so much about us. I conclude with the greatest communication of which we are capable of is our own life. Not our words, but our life. The communication of life at its highest level is when the teacher is experiencing pressure. When you're under the gun, when you're going through it, is the best time that you can express who you are. Sooner or later, what you really believe will be seen through what we live and what we are. Life will bring everybody to a person, a place, where they have it to express what they really are in their life. Amen. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather. And you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.